Hey everyone, and welcome to DarkCast number 226. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and joining me today is Brian Tyler as we continue the Meet Darkstation series, this week with James Graham. Uh, with this episode, we do excuse some of the normal uh, questions to have quite a long conversation about uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Alright, well, uh, we are back for another round of Meet Dark Station here on the Darkcast. And uh, we're, we're trucking along. We are over halfway through, which is exciting, because we've been doing this, like, literally all year. And uh, we, we still have, like, a month or two to go. Uh, so it's, it's cool. Um... But uh, joining us today is James Graham. How are you doing, James? I am well, thank you, Jonathan. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna say something that people have probably gotten tired of me saying, but I'm kind of nursing a, a sore throat right now, which has been kind of an ongoing theme for I don't know, like a month, because the weather cannot make up its mind, and there's tree sperm all in the air, and it's gross. Oh, um, lovely. So, you know, that's that's a thing you have to deal with. Or yeah, I have to deal with. Just we, we ejaculating all over the place. We live in the terrible <laughs> American South. Um, James, where are you? Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. Okay. It was oh, a okay. lovely <laughs> 80 degrees today after the warm 50 degrees of last week. Cool. Nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually thirty five degrees uh, Saturday morning, and then Sunday afternoon it was eighty five degrees. Uh, so I, I'm in Georgia, and it it just can't make up its mind. And I would like I don't like warm weather, uh, which like I'm in the wrong part of the world to to say that and live here, like and just have that opinion that doesn't make sense. But I I do live here. Um, but really, what I prefer over over cold weather. It's just consistent weather, you know? It's, it's kind of like video game graphics. Like, sure, I would like it to be pretty, like, you know, awesome graphics, but really, I really just want it to be smooth. That's that's the way I feel about the weather. I just, I just want it to be smooth, and it's, it's not. I would say uh, West Coast, then, would be uh, good for the consistent weather. I would get bored with that, though. Sure. Um, that's why I love Pennsylvania, you know? 100 degrees in the summer, 15 degrees in snowing all winter. Brilliant. <laughs> and you're happy with that. More power to you. <laughs> uh, it's what I'm accustomed to, so... That's, that's fair. That's fair. I've always wanted to live in Seattle, where, you know, it just rains, like, 300 days out of the year. I think that would be nice. How long have you been there uh, that, that that has become accustomed? Uh, oh, I've been uh, in Pennsylvania for about 16 years. Uh, my family's actually originally from England, and we moved over here when I was eight. Cool. What uh, what was the cause for the move? Just uh, work or 
yes. Okay. Not my work. Sure. I was eight. Right. Um, I mean, that that dad's... would be really impressive, and this would take a That'd very different turn. Yes. Uh, uh, back in, <laughs> back in the days when I was working the pond. in the coal mines. <laughs> That's right. The official English canary of wherever you are, Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> Suburbs of Philly. Okay. I've been to Philly. Uh, was it terrible? Did anyone mug you? No, they did not. Um, okay, that's okay. That's what more can you ask for? That's a good experience. You know, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I did a lot of walking. Um, I went up the steps at the the museum. Uh, I did not get my picture taken in front of the Rocky statue, um, mostly because there was an incredibly long line. Um, so I, I didn't do that. Uh, but yeah, nobody mugged me. Um, and. I don't know, like, I people, to my perception, people weren't exceptionally rude or anything. Everybody was just kind of minding their own business, which I thought was actually, like, really fantastic, uh, living in the South, where a lot of people are just, like, overly and ob- obnoxiously nice, and you kind of just want to be like, leave me alone, I'm, I'm going somewhere. Um, so that was, that was okay. And, uh, I was, I was a huge fan of, um, um... Oh god, what is uh uh Reading Square Terminal? What is that? that? Oh, Reading Terminal Market. Yes. Yes, that that place. That place that is, is amazing. Place. It's magical. Uh, yes. Well, maybe not magical. It's kind of like the American platform nine and three quarters, but with food rather than a castle. So yeah, no, that, no, that's thinking, fair and sounds amazing. Yeah, that no, I would go with magical. Seem um, like an accurate analogy at all. Uh yeah no no that place was was amazing and the the fact that like literally I mean like you've got these kind of like blocks of um and not liter- not like block shaped blocks but like city blocks uh but in you know kind of a microcosm and just you go what from one I- um Reading Terminal is that right uh yes Reading Terminal Market it's a it's an old like retrofitted uh train depot. Uh, but it is like this open air, um, wildly diverse um, market where you can get all kinds of stuff. There's like a tiny little supermarket where you can get, uh, you know, groceries and whatnot. But there's also just restaurants everywhere, and there's literally everything. There's like there's Chinese food and Thai food and uh, Italian food, and they have there's like a corner of it which is just Pennsylvania Dutch stuff. And they make donuts there, and they are the best donuts. It's a place called Bailey's, um, and they make the best donuts ever. Like, you're watching them fill the donuts with, with cream. They have one called the Elvis Presley, which um, I think has, like, peanut butter and bacon on it. And they have a key lime donut, and they're actually, like, pretty cheap. They're only, like, I think they were 89 cents or a dollar a donut. And then, yeah, it was like less than $10 for a dozen. And so my, my brother lived in Philly for a while. And every time I went there, the first thing I did was I went to Reading um, and I got a dozen donuts. And then over like the weekend that I was there, he and I just ate a dozen of these fantastically amazing donuts. And plus they have all kinds of other stuff. They have like German restaurants with bratwurst and they have like, it's, oh, it's so good. Like I kind of want to go back to Philly just to visit that place. I'd say that's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty good idea. I mean, maybe a bit expensive for a shopping trip. But... Right. Yeah. That's that's been kind of the big, big deterrent there. 
Um, plus, my brother doesn't live there anymore, so I'd also have to pay. Like, if, if I was going to actually stay there, I couldn't just stay at his apartment. Um, but, you know, buying liquor and beer is a big pain, though. That I was, I did not anticipate. Uh, it's also expensive. Oh, yes. Uh, although they did recently loosen up the the liquor laws a little bit, so I think, you know, now you can buy wine at some supermarkets, which is creeping us slowly toward the 21st century. All right. You, you know, hey, we we all get there sometime. So, so slow and steady, you know, you'll get there. And it'll it'll be great. We have we have drive throughs attached to our liquor stores down here. So just to just to tell you what you have to look forward to. Just to tell me what I'm missing. Yeah, we we have drive through liquor stores here as well, which I've always just thought is amazing. So uh... <laughs> But uh but yeah, so that that was a weird conversation to have. Um this I think it's a good omen for this podcast though. Uh James, what so you you were not um a coal miner that moved to America when you were 8. Um so we can scratch that off the Missed list. Missed opportunity. Oh, yeah. That's that's not what you do. But what what do you do? I would say professional unemployment, but uh in truth I write music. Which is basically the same thing. <laughs> Uh, um, just at the end of last year I finished scoring my first short film which is supposed to come out uh, or start being submitted to festivals later this year uh, so that was a really exciting experience um, that is exciting, that's, that's really cool that's a uh, dream job right there is uh, film composition alright, awesome and we're, we're going to have to now change um a, a, a question yeah, later on. I'm, I'm reformulating. Um, <laughs> so we already know your dream job, uh, but that is that is really awesome, and that it's also interesting. You are the second composer that we have interviewed here on on Meet Dark Station. I recommend uh, you hang out, or maybe not hang out, but uh, talk with uh, Mark, uh, who's one of the, the writers uh, on on Dark Station, and definitely listen to his Meet Dark Station because uh, I think you guys could talk a lot about musicy things and other sundry um yeah so there's there's that um but uh that that is really cool i i assume you did you go to school for composition or um you know retrospectively that might have been a good idea uh (laughs) i actually went to business school okay um and haven't done anything with that at all. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so why, why business school? Uh, well, this is going off on a completely different tangent from uh, music, but my uh, other dream job, because you know, why have just one? Uh, my other goal is to go to law school and then uh, become a practicing attorney. All right. 
and then you could write your own um, like soundtracks to your cases. Uh, oh, absolutely! You, yeah, that 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 could be really intense, and I think that would also like help your win rate if you could, you know, kind of get the the jurors in like hooked emotionally because of the uh, the rousing film score uh, or law score, or you could invent a whole new genre of of music there, like music that you play while you're doing a case. That... Yes, Your Honor, I would like to give my closing argument in the form of an R and B song. <laughs> Yes. Uh, also, there should be some sort of video game um, that incorporates that. Uh, I was wondering the other day why there aren't like musical video games. Um, that that should be a thing, and it's it's not, and that that's sad. Uh, there's that one called uh, Geometry Dash that's in. Uh, I think it's on websites like Newgrounds. Uh, just a little browser game that's like just one of those tappy, clicky beat rhythm games. Um, I've never played it, but so I don't know why I'm talking about it. But um... <laughs> uh, that's when we're at our best is when we are talking about the things that we don't know anything about. So you are you're doing all right. Yes. Um... <laughs> But I'm thinking more like musicals, like, um, it, I, for some reason, like, Grease is the first musical that pops into my head. But, like, you know, people providing plot and character development through song in a game. I think, I think that is, is ripe. Uh, for like the Parappa the Rapper. Yeah, but not necessarily a, like, rhythm no, game. Just... So, but yeah, like that, exactly. Um, how does how do how does video games and uh, writing for Dark Station fit in with uh, becoming a lawyer and composing music? Uh, the short answer is it doesn't. Okay, that's fair. Um, it was. Uh, it's just something I've always been interested in. Um. I wish I could say I was an old, old school gamer, but my first console was a PS2, uh, so it's not that old, I guess. Well, I mean, you, um, you can't play video games when you're mining for coal in Pennsylvania, so it, it's true. understandable. Um, but uh, video games are something that I've always enjoyed, um, and... As a musician, I've always appreciated some of the video games that have really good soundtracks, like Halo, I think, is probably uh, the first one that comes to mind. Um, and just going to go off on a tangent, because I, you said I could. I, I did. Uh, I gave to, you permission, I'm, so go for it. Uh, I feel like the Halo, old-school Call of Duty, original uh, Medal of Honor games are kind of... the at least the first ones in my experience that kind of showed that you don't just have to have a video game soundtrack, you can actually have a video game score where the music is really uh, tied more into what you're doing. And I just thought that was really cool how they started to bring in uh, more orchestral elements and just really give you a big epic film soundtrack while you're playing a video game. Oh, sure, yeah. 
Definitely. And I, I think um, I I don't remember the soundtrack to like the original Call of Duty, um, but I, I feel like Halo succeeded in in making songs that were that like had a melody that kind of hooked you and you could hum later on. And I find that there's so many games out there that like the music fits fine while you're playing it, but it's not something that you're gonna hum later because you're not gonna remember it because it doesn't have like, you know, that kind of core that just sticks with you, um, which I, I find to be sad. Because, like, I feel like I should have a new favorite video game soundtrack in 2017, 16 years after I played Halo. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't think I do. <laughs> I'd say there's a there are. A lot of good tracks of the Destiny soundtrack, um, the original game, uh, the stuff from uh, the Taken King, uh, House of Wolves, uh, and the Dark Below. Uh, they all have a lot of really catchy tracks, and to be honest, I've burnt them onto a CD and just played them in my car while I'm driving to the supermarket because uh, my life is very mundane, and I feel like <laughs> if you have an epic driving rock track in the background, then it just makes it a little bit more exciting when you're stuck at a red light. Oh, absolutely. When, when I was in college, I would take, like, some of my favorite songs from um, from video games or movies or whatnot and, like, put them into a, what I called an epic playlist. Um, and, you know, that's what I would listen to while I'm just kind of walking from, you know, one building on campus to another. And it just it makes everything feel so much more grandiose um, you know when you've got monks cheering you on oh definitely it's great yeah so how long have you uh, how long have you been with dark station um, I have been with dark station for uh, a few years now I can pull up my emails and find the specific date <laughs> I joined. Yeah, we need spe- only we only deal in specifics on this podcast. That is very good to know. I will. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Other people in my house are scoffing audibly right now that I said that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we've ever done anything specific. It's true. Um, that's it's it's all just vague generalities. Um. Uh, while while you're looking that up though, uh, to kind of go back to to soundtracks real quick is you mentioned destiny but is there another kind of like current game that you think has a a really great soundtrack that you enjoy uh well i'm going to sound very hypocritical here uh the battlefield one soundtrack is fantastic except i turn it off when i'm playing okay why uh there's a a strange thing that i've always had with uh, action games, RPGs, uh, like the Skyrim soundtrack is fantastic. I love it. I have it uh, on CD. I listen to it occasionally. But when I'm playing the game, I turn it off because I feel that it pulls me out of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Skyrim, you'll just be walking around and then suddenly the epic choir battle music will show up and you're like, oh, well, I guess there's a dragon around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Battlefield 1. You get to the end, uh, the last minute of the match, and just the music of the and the tone changes to 
you know, crying violins because you're losing. And I just feel that it it pulls me out of the experience a little bit. It's uh, it's it's directing like how you should feel too much, or spoiling things like there's a, a big boss nearby or something like that. Right. Okay, that's fair. To answer your question, I've been with Dark Station since May 2014. All right, right. Fantastic. Hey, man, that is that is specific. That is that is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's it's on my resume. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, it's on my resume as well. Um, I actually could say how long I've been with Dark Station, but I'm not going to right now because at some point in time, I'm going to be on the other end of one of these. And so I have to say something, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Or I could just make stuff up then. We're the last one, man. That's our story. That is. That is true. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that the uh, PS2 was actually your first video game console. Um, when did you get that, and, and what kind of games were you jumping into at that point in time? Ah, uh, it's another one of these specific date questions. Well, I, that that wasn't meant to be, like, super specific. Just, like, did you get it when it came out? Was it a couple of years into the cycle? Did you not get one to the PS3 was actually out? You know, it's um, anything. It like must have been around... 2002 okay um i believe the very first game i played was uh time splitters that is a good game excellent excellent choice it is um and i used to play uh cooperative multiplayer with my dad against all the bots (laughs) those i want to go on record and state that those bots cheat they do yes I, I never is that. Are you talking about the original Time Splitters or the? Because I, uh, I never actually played the original. I played the second one, and quite enjoyed it. But um, the second one was a a lot smoother. I think they really found their pacing and their style. But uh, yeah, the the first Time Splitters was the uh, one of the first uh, console games I played. Okay, nice. Did you ever play uh, the the third one? Was uh, Future something? Future Perfect. Yeah, uh, I did. It was a little disappointing, but it was okay. still a good game. I remember. I remember a bunch of people really uh, liking Future Perfect when it came out, but that was that was unfortunately at a point in time where I was very uh, like anti EA for some reason, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to buy it because the other two games were. I don't remember who published the other two time splitters, but it wasn't EA. And then EA did this one, and I was just like, "No, I got to stick it to the man. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play that for I don't know because I was a teenager and dumb or something." Um, I'm not gonna play that, damn it! <laughs> right? And now, now I kind of you know regret it because it's not. I don't think it's backwards compatible anywhere, and um, you know, I don't have any way to like hook up my original Xbox or anything right now. Uh, so that's kind of disappointing uh, that it's not easily playable. But uh, Eidos uh, published the first two, They're just randomly. You know, there we go. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, it was good, but maybe not as good as everybody says. Possibly. Um, I don't know. From my personal experience, but 
I'm just one person. So that is, that is true. That is true. But we are getting to know this one person, so that's that's okay. You can you can let your opinion out. That's what we do here. We just we talk about what we think about video games, and because it's on the internet, you know, you can believe everything that you read or hear on the internet. Absolutely, everything. I'm pretty sure Abraham Lincoln said that. Once so. it's published, it is set in stone. It is exactly. a fact. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, what what do you kind of play nowadays? Uh, you started with Time Splitters. Where have you gone to since then? Ah, uh, well, at the moment, the uh, three big games I am switching between are Battlefield One. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and Ghost Recon Wildlands. All right, I so uh, so Battlefield One came out uh, last year, and I think it's gotten some really good feedback. Um, I actually ended up picking it up because I thought it looked really cool. Um, but Mass Effect and Ghost Recon are, are pretty new, and there's there's some division around those, so let's let's take a little uh, diversion here. Let's, take a let's talk about uh, talk about those games. Let's let's start with Ghost Recon. How how are you feeling about that? I, and I what's was your relationship? We were going this direction. Okay, what what is your relationship with Tom Clancy games prior to Wildlands? First, all right. Well, uh, the. Uh... I was I was playing them before they were even uh, with Ubisoft. Uh, the, the very first Tom Clancy game I played was uh, the original. Well, not Rainbow's uh, Rainbow Six Rogue Spear. Ra- that Rogue Spear. That was okay. It. That was a good one. That was a Ghost very good Recon one. Spear of Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the little note about uh, crossover between Tom Clancy and Destiny. Um, that would be that would be weird. But anyway, so so you've been playing it for a long time. How how do you feel about uh, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands? And how it wild hurts are they? my soul? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've played every Splinter Cell since the original game. I've played uh, every Ghost, every major Ghost Recon title since uh, Ghost Recon Two, uh, and Wildlands is just trash. <laughs> so, please don't let the Ubisoft team hear this one, or do. Uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure they they need to. Uh, actually, I I got to go preview the game, and uh, I had a couple of hours with it, and it was kind of one of those things where like I'd played for I think we had I think we had like four hours to play the game, and about two hours in, I kind of wanted to just like set the controller down and go talk to somebody because I really just didn't want to play the game anymore. Um, that is a very big problem that I have found. Um, I am actually currently writing the review for Dark Station for Wildlands, uh, so this might be a bit of a spoiler alert. Um, That's all right. I, 
I've spent 40 hours in Wildlands, and it was a struggle. I had to force myself to play it, because every time I came back, I thought, you know, maybe the next hour of gameplay might be magical. You know, it might be good. And I don't want to miss that if I'm writing a review on it, but it's just painful. It's so painful. Uh, they have this... The, the map they've created for Wildlands is absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, and they don't know how to use it. And this is a huge problem that I have with Ubisoft games in general. They have these amazing maps, and then they just throw you in it and say, go here and shoot things. And it sucks, because I <laughs> want to love Ubisoft, but just... <sighs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, that's... Uh... Yeah, I, I feel like you're just... You're, you're channeling the, the frustration that I had with the game. I just didn't have any of the energy that you were putting into it. Like, I just didn't care that much about it. So it, it, is, it is nice to, to hear that. Um, that my, my apathy towards this game is, is, is rewarded. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, if you, if you have three of the friends and you can play the game with it, then you can create your own fun. But to me, that kind of just shows that the game's failed. Why do I have to create my own fun in a video game? Shouldn't the video game be fun? That is a great question. I mean, it's yeah. I guess you don't I'm think you don't think you're asking a lot with that that the video game be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm going to walk myself back here a little bit because I say things like Minecraft are specifically designed that you create your own fun but with a triple a game with a full story and you know it's supposed to have this background and this character development that's non-existent and these story missions that are repetitive and boring these side activities that are absolutely pointless then it's just failed you might as well just make it a movie sure and i mean with something like minecraft i mean like that's it's like Legos. Like, if you just have a bunch of blocks of Legos, the the bricks themselves aren't fun. It is the inherent, like, use of creating with them that makes fun. And so... Yeah, as a parent, I can tell you for sure, the bricks themselves are not fun. Right, yeah. Yeah, because... Especially when you bricks step by themselves them. are no fun. Especially when you step on them, because then... Yeah, exactly. The opposite of fun, it is pain. Um... But, like, it, it's inherent to, to Minecraft's nature that that you were making fun because making is, like, is the game. And right. so if you've got a game that has, it's more systems and, and action-driven and more traditionally a quote-unquote game, then, then, no, you shouldn't have to create fun. That's, yeah, no, that's, that, yeah. Like going back to the um, the original uh, trailer demos that they were releasing, they were showing people having fun taking dirt bikes and just going flying off of the edge of cliffs because the physics system was completely broken. Um, you know, if if your players are enjoying that more than the story that you've created, then I think you've probably need to take a look at what you're doing and really question whether you succeeded in 
building this game. Sure. Well, I mean, if you have if you have something like that, then you need to either, uh, you know, rework your your story and fix your physics, or embrace the brokenness of it, and uh, and not worry about the the physics. A, there was a Connect game made by Double Fine, uh, which because Connect is inherently broken, it was fun. <laughs> It was happy action theater. It was great. It was stupid. Uh, it, it didn't do any of the things that you know, like Connect was supposed to do. And the and way that flawlessly. it messed up was amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing, and uh, while I was playing it, I, I never actually figured out how to go forward in a helicopter. Is that something you can actually do in Ghost Recon? <laughs> Uh, yes, you okay. can actually move a helicopter forward. Uh, you have to finagle the controller to pitch the helicopter in the right direction, and then you have to apply just the right amount of throttle, and it's way more complicated than it should be. But once you actually figure out how to do it, it it's actually pretty good. Okay. Um, I hate to keep comparing to... Uh, other games like Battlefield, which are completely different, but, you know, the old Battlefield games, you're trying to fly a helicopter, and that was just impossible. I don't know how people did it. I have so much respect and admiration for them. Um, but I could never... I couldn't even keep a, a helicopter in the air stationary in, in <laughs> Battlefield 3 and 4. Uh, but Ghost Recon, just... it's It's very easy once you figure it out. It just doesn't tell you how to fly it, which is uh, frustrating. Okay. Any other uh, any other thoughts you want to share on Ghost Recon? Uh, how many hours do you have? <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say before we move on to Mass Effect. <laughs> so, uh, let's, uh, let's take it, let's shorten that hours down to a, you know, a couple of minutes. Anything you need to get off your chest? <laughs> um... All right. Fundamentally, it's a fun game. I, I enjoyed it. When you're with friends, it's fun. It can be fun to clear uh, checkpoints. But at the end of the day, it's a base-clearing game. Every objective is just go in, tag everyone with the drone, shoot them all, and then walk in and do whatever the objective is and then leave. Yeah, that, that sounds like a Ubisoft game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I think that's enough ragging on Ubisoft now. <laughs> now we get right. to rag on EA and Bioware. So let's do that. How are you? Uh, where Where are you at in in Mass Effect Andromeda? Um, besides in Andromeda, um, and uh, how are you feeling about that? Uh, I would say I'm probably about thirty five percent completion. Um, I absolutely understand and appreciate where all of the frustration is for things like the character animations being just horrendous. Um, they all look like they've had way too much Botox injected into them and they just can't emote anymore. Um, they have released a patch. I have not actually played it since the patch, though. Uh, so I don't know how, uh, how the animations compare. Um, so but, I, 
so you you actually you kind of have to look at some there's some comparison videos out there and uh, if I remember to I may link them in the show notes to this episode um, but uh, there's one specifically uh, where uh, like Addison when you first meet her oh. on the Nexus oh my um, god her yes. her my, animations my face and everything is tired. yeah well one so her her animations uh, are completely changed. Um, the line "my face is tired" is removed, and That's um, yeah. and also like Addison's probably the best point of reference for like the the way that uh, the the lighting and filters have changed because instead of looking kind of like a clown, um, she looks like she's you know a, a, a person that's not a clown. Um, and from what I understand, it, it's not through any, like, changes to textures on her face, but the, just the way that the lighting and filtering is, is done. Um, and so, so that helps, um, in and of itself, but that, that's probably the best reference point. It's probably also the part of the game that they change the most. Um, I, so the, the change happened... Um, when I was about 75% of the way through, uh, like the, the plot of the game. And so when I started playing it after patch 1.05, like I, since I, I wasn't just going back and replaying segments to say, okay, like how has this changed? Um, I was just, you know, continually playing new stuff I hadn't seen before. It, like the overall quality didn't feel that much better um I, I feel like they just fixed a lot of the glaring issues but but i also like the the animation and stuff is janky but i don't feel like it's it's that bad like i mean if you compare it like I, I feel like the game actually compares very um not positively in that it, it's better but it, it compares very equally maybe is a better word with something like Fallout 4. Um, like, I, I feel like it's pretty on par with that because people don't emote a lot and they use their hands in awkward ways. And that's just... That's a thing RPGs have been doing forever. And so... I, like, I, I, I understand that. that it needs to get better, but like, it, it's not really worse than it's ever been, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I was going to say that I don't think Bioware has really ever been particularly good with character animations. I think no, it no. might just be that we're on a new console generation and people are expecting more of a jump. Sure. I can agree with that. How are you feeling about the uh, the rest of the game? Um, It's... I think it's pretty good. Uh, I... Oh, 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 I'm jumping in here. Oh, I'm yeah. going to disagree with that. Oh, oh, just oh. because Dragon Age Inquisition, even though it that, okay, kind yeah. of spread itself across two generations, they did it right. Yes. And it used the same engine. Yes. That and is, I don't so, know what these people were on. So, for some reason, I... I don't think about Dragon Age Inquisition, even though I'm actually playing Dragon Age, not right this second, like, while we're recording, but I finished Mass Effect Andromeda, and I was like, man, I really want to go play <laughs> Dragon Age Inquisition right now. 
Uh, so I, I've started a, uh, a new character there, and and yes, like Inquisition is on a, a whole other level. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, no that that is that is a true statement. Yeah, they had um, stuff right, and I don't understand how even how you even take like something with similar tech and just not like the, their breakdown in process to apply these things. Ah. Uh, um, I may get the studios mixed up, but the original Mass Effect trilogy in Dragon Age has been handled by Edmonton, and uh, Bioware was created to work on Mass Effect 3, and then Mass Effect Andromeda was their first solo project. Yes, um, that is, that is absolutely true. I went to the Frostbite engine. I know what EA is trying to do. They're trying to get everything on Frostbite. But I just think that's kind of a questionable choice for an RPG. So, like, I, I, it worked. I, that's the thing. It worked well for Dragon Age Inquisition because that yeah, was fine with Frostbite. Yeah, I, I think I think it was fine with Dragon Age, and I, I think I think it makes sense for you know uh, a publisher to kind of you know pimp out their their engine uh, and theoretically, hopefully, get other people who aren't owned by EA to. To purchase and use Frostbite potentially, um, like that makes uh, you know business sense or, or whatever, um, and theoretically it could also make really good sense for the the thing that is really lacking here in that like if everything's using the same engine, then there are resources that can be shared. So to to Brian's point, like they did so many good things, and there are so many systems that they take from Dragon Age Inquisition and there's so many like thematic things that they move from that game um, into Andromeda but there's all this just like underlying stuff that is is not carried over yeah, with it which is, is bizarre uh, there's also the aspect that um, you know what you said about uh, Bioware Montreal made uh, Dragon Age or not, Bioware Montreal made Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, the they have done support stuff for Edmonton prior to this, and they made the multiplayer for Mass Effect Three. But this is really their first, um, their first game that they've made. And one thinking about a studio making their first game, like I, I feel like, and this is not, this is not reason for anybody else to give the game a pass um, but for me uh, like, I feel like it's totally understandable some of the issues that this game has because there are a lot of like you know industry rookies making this game the, the, this is not this is not the house the doctors built uh, this is kind of a new thing that has that same name on it um, and so I I feel like some of its issues are forgivable from that standpoint. And then also, when your game is the... When your first game is the fourth in a critically and commercially beloved and successful science fiction RPG, how do you do that? How How is your first game Mass Effect 4? That's mm. stupid. That. Yeah, I, f <laughs> like, I definitely feel like there was a lot of stuff that if they had been doing 
another Shepard game, even if it was 10 years after or 10 years before, if they could have had that original cast of characters as a crutch, then the rest of the game would have been smoother. But because they had to come up with a completely new scenario and somehow shoehorn in all of the old races that you expected to be in there and still create something entirely different. So I I don't know if old characters would have helped this game because I think one of the worst things about it is is the writing and the characters. And that, that could be helped by having old characters that, you know, you played as them um, and it's easier possibly to, to write in their voice. Uh, so maybe that maybe that would work easier and would it would have been an easier thing to do. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I don't know if I trust the people that made Andromeda with my characters and my my friends from from the original Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, I I don't know if that would have would have worked. Um, and just for the record, I hate PB. I hate. <laughs> just want to make that clear. <laughs> yes. Um, Vetra is is okay. Drac is kind of like. Rex if he were old but not as cool as thinking about like old man Rex um, and Jal is is fine because he's new um, right. Korra and um, I don't know, what's the what's the other guy's name the other human uh, Liam Liam not Jacob uh, yeah not Jacob uh, they're both they play it so safe and are so dull like Jacob, they're like they are offensively inoffensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God damn it, PB. Ugh. I think I think my 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 biggest problem with it, and the the thing that's got me kind of most struggling, is that it is, um, uh, it is almost offensive in its wishy washiness. Um, Shepard was very on point, even when she was not on point. Ryder is no such thing. Um, it's kind of understand. I, I, if they would lean into one side or the other, I could get behind that. If Ryder, if like Dad Ryder, had trained her from when she was young, had instilled kind of this, you know, like, hey, listen, I'm N seven. I'm really good at what I do. You could be really good at what I do. I have faith in you guys. Mm-hmm. That would have been fantastic. Sure. If they, it had gone the opposite direction and they wanted to lean kind of into daddy problems and have her have this like tremendous like kind of crisis of faith because she's been given this huge thing that would have been cool too sure. um, given especially how great they handled the almost like religious aspect of Dragon Age Inquisition and this person's ascent into like um, deityhood. Yeah, so that, that's um, actually something I want to talk about in a bit. Yeah, given you the choice of whether or not you even want to go along with it and saying, well, listen, even if you tell them no, because of the way these these circumstances have worked out, this is what they believe regardless. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. I'm sorry. Like, all that stuff, it, it, they really kind of dropped the ball writing-wise, and it's getting, it, it's, it's becoming tougher for me to just kind of power through it, because I also, I have a really big problem with their 
autosave system. I didn't really notice anything with the autosave. What, what's up with the autosave um, system? Twice. I So yeah. I ran into, um, I cleared EOS, and, and then I went to Veld next. Um, on Veld, when you clear that, you're immediately able to keep going, kind of wrong and planned, and get it to 100%. And one of the things for 100% is you actually get to fight uh, an architect, which is a huge, um, towering uh, remnant monster thing. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'd never seen I'd, one of those. I'd, or I'd kind of forgotten about what that was already. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'd never run into one of those, so I was like, "Oh wow, this is an interesting fight." Yeah, that, this, that was the like, first time I ran into that as yeah, well. Yeah, yep. this is like one of the dragons. Okay, cool. I could deal with this. It's got multiple parts. I ended up dying. It took me back to the beginning of the mission, so I had to go through all the parts again. Oh. That's annoying. Yeah. No problem. I get a little side quest for Korra to go back to Eos. I lay on Eos. I start doing shortcut, you know, side quests over there. Oh, what do you know? The introductory quest for the architects. Where they even have, like, this whole little cinematic that plays. And I'm like, oh, well, first, this would have been nice to do a planet ago. And secondly, right. I guess now that I'm here, that's fine. End up. So this architect starts on a little thing on top of a hill, and you fight him. You fight it there, and then it goes all the way down to the bottom of the hill, and you have to drive this stuff. You have to no Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, you have to drive a car all the way. To, you, you kind of drive your car all the way down to the bottom, get out, fight the architect there again, blow off another one of his legs, and then he go. It goes back up the hill. Yeah. During my run back up the hill, I died. All of a sudden, because I guess that's something that happens. Back to the start of the mission. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That. So at that, that point, sucks. I kind of turned it off, and I was like, "I'm gonna put this down for a little bit." Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like the same closeness that I felt at this point in the first Mass Effect game, mm -hmm. or this Mass Effect game. Yeah, and, and it's also that the the lack of, like, attachment and closeness is amplified by the game trying to make you feel attached and close. Um, because uh, I, I remember reading about it, actually, in a Game Informer article. Um, but every character has a... So they have the loyalty missions brought back from Mass Effect 2... Uh, which I think is stupid that they call them loyalty missions because you're not really trying to make them loyal. Well, um, I mean, that whole like, team pretty much starts out like, all right, man, hey, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like having a personal mission, like, that's that's fine, but calling it a loyalty mission, like, that, you're just calling it that because that's what they called it in Mass Effect 2, which I, I have an issue with that. Um, but But that's not... My, my point. So a after the loyalty mission, you then have these kind of tiny little missions um, which are akin to you shooting uh, you know, having a shooting contest with Garrus uh, on the Citadel. But the thing is like, my my relationship, like Shepard and Garrus's relationship and my as the player's relationship had grown over the course of of three games where doing a a quest that didn't have any action or like anything it was just like meeting a buddy and yeah, shooting bottles there. like yeah there were stakes there because I yeah. was invested 
Uh, like, it was worth it because of the personal attachment and the, like, perceived personal attachment between these two imaginary characters. Like, it worked. Having it here does not work. Like, I don't care. And it's also, um, there was, there you do, I think there's actually one or two, uh, per character. Um, and I did one with Drac. And right before that, I went and did a mission, and I chose to do a thing where after that mission, Drac was pissed off with me. Like, if if they had incorporated the original Dragon Age system of, like, people leaving your party, uh, like, he... I could have totally understood Drac leaving my party then. But then I went and did the buddy mission with him, and we were best chums. And it was really awkward, and it's never mentioned again that he has an issue with the choice that I made. Um, yeah, that's a that's a real... That's a hard swing. I, yeah. I I read somewhere, and I'm not sure if it was with this patch or if it's with a future patch, that they're they're working on kind of evening that stuff out. Okay. And so there's a real big part of me that's like, you know what? Maybe I'll just wait until we're a couple patches deep into this. That's and I can kind of get the this is what we wanted it to be out of it. I I think that's a fair outtake on Andromeda. Um, because I mean they uh they announced kind of their uh their path for the next couple of months. It sounds like there's some pretty big changes over the, the next two or three months. And so I, I would not begrudge anybody to wait two or three months to, uh, to dive into Andromeda because it, it's a big game and there's, there's a lot to do. And I think, I think the core combat is actually really solid. And I, I had a lot of fun. Um, kind of, like I didn't switch profiles like they talked about you being able to do, but I, I kind of went with the Explorer and just cherry picked some of my favorite abilities from, uh, you know, soldier and bionic and tech, um, and I, I think the kind of what you can do there and what you can create uh, is really cool. I do think it's disappointing that you're fighting the least interesting enemies that there have ever been in a Mass Effect game. Uh, you're basically fighting the Locust from Gears of War and Sentinels from Halo. Um, the, the whole game, and that's not great. Um, but, to, to tie this all the way back around to what I originally wanted to say, comparing this, uh, both to Dragon Age and, and the original Mass Effect, so, Brian, you mentioned that the writer is, writer has no conviction in this game. No. Um, and it, it is weird, because, like, when, when Shepard is thrust into being, well, Shepard isn't thrusts into being a specter. Shepard earns being a specter. Uh, at the beginning of the game, he or she is already a candidate to become a specter. Uh, shit goes sideways, and you deal with it, and then you find evidence that the, the most famous specter ever is corrupt, and you need to go hunt them throughout the galaxy, and your, your title of specter basically just gives you political immunity to do whatever you need to to track that person down um and so when people are in awe of the fact that you are a specter it is because they know that they can't do anything to you like you there's that the the, the great interrogation scene 
um, when, uh, when I think it's Mass Effect Two when you're on the Citadel and you're interrogating the dude for information. Yeah. Um, and they 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 kind of come in at the end and he goes, oh yeah, I'm a Spectre, and the dude just stops. And he's like, oh damn it, I couldn't do anything anyway. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, they, it's that level of frustration that they're yeah, there like, because. He can nobody, do whatever he wants. Nobody can put you in jail or anything. You you have free license to do whatever you want, and and you earned it. Um, converse or um, yeah, conversely, in Dragon Age Inquisition, you you don't earn it. Um, you wake up with this magic thing on your hand, um, and people are like, you m- might be the key to all of this let's go find out and it turns out you are and then everybody is in awe of you not because of your title they do give you a title but they're in awe because of the thing that you did which was close a hole in the sky and they sing about you and people basically make I mean they they don't actually but they incorporate you into their pre-existing religion like it's it's pretty amazing, and even if you disagree with it, like you said, um, they still believe in you. And so you, like, people follow Shepard because Shepard has proven that they will do what needs to be done and can do what needs to be done. And with Dragon Age Inquisition, people believe in you because of what they've seen happen, and their belief can strengthen you despite your lack of belief in yourself, which is pretty powerful. In Mass Effect Andromeda, you are not trained to be a Pathfinder. Uh, There is somebody else who's actually supposed to be Pathfinder next, but you are, are given the privilege of being a Pathfinder despite not doing anything to earn it, not being trained for it, and then you're given the actual authority of being a Pathfinder without anybody actually believing that you can be the Pathfinder, but everybody just goes along with it anyway. Because that's what the script says. I feel like there are hints at the beginning of the game that uh, suggest that people are just so fed up of the failure of the Andromeda Initiative that they don't really have anything else to lose by going along with you. Uh, that's not to defend the game and say sure. they couldn't and, have done a better job. Right, and that that could be a thing, and that could be compelling, but, like, if... Like, somebody has... Somebody somewhere has to be driving you being the Pathfinder. And it's not the people that are in charge... It's not the people that are following you, and it's it's not you. It just kind of is. It's like she's like like flowing on this weird wave. Like there's a real good um, that your first kind of conversation on the Tempest with Cora, where Cora brings up the fact that she's angry that your dad that that she was kind of being groomed to be in this position. Yeah. Um and Ryder's dad picking you picking picking the the kid Ryder. Um, really kind of threw her for a loop. And that's kind of the only time it's ever mentioned so far. Um, and if it comes back, that's great, but there's... So, like, like, so it there's, gets... It does, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil something uh, here. It does get mentioned, like, once, where she says that she's kind of okay with it, 
uh, because she's always followed other people. She doesn't know how well she would do being the Pathfinder. And it's yeah, like see, and that's it's like a sentence, like yeah. twelve hours later. Like, they, like <laughs> I, if I had if I had done that, if it was if I wanted to kind of choose that that as a point, um, you know, like make that contentious. Like, yeah. damn, you, you know, you, if if we were doing or have Ryder kind of use her as an advisor, which none of them do. Like Shepard routinely went to other people and was like, hey. What do you think about this is going? You know, like how do you think this is going? What do you think this is going on? If you had two people there, they they had an opinion kind of about what was happening. Uh, everybody here is just kind of lukewarm about everything, and yes. like she would have been a really great person. So if Ryder goes like, "Hey, we're facing this like decision here," you know, what would my dad have done? And she goes, "Well, look, you know, through all the training, he would have done this, but you know, maybe you're a different person than that. You don't have to do that." But then. None of that is touched upon. None of that's ever reached out for. Yeah. They have this, like, this whole backstory that it feels like they tried to build at the beginning with that first mission where your dad is supposed to be this crazy badass dude, and then it just completely gets dropped, just like everything else. Right. It, but, the like, you only even get to hang out with your dad for, like, five minutes when you're assaulting the terraforming base thing. And everybody's just like, oh my god, he's amazing. And he's wow. just busy hacking stuff. Like, he's not even taking people out. Yeah. I, like, if he was like, listen, I'll hold the left side, you guys go grab the right, and you guys, like, and, and we, like, barely held on to the right, and he comes back like, hey, that took me long, that took uh, you folks longer than I thought it would. Or, like, like well, okay, like three well, of you go, it, Dad. Yeah, three <laughs> of you go to one side, and he takes the other side, and halfway through, he's flanking them from the other side. Like, he's, he's made it all, all the way, way around. around. <laughs> exactly. He's pulled a total shepherd and it has come up on you from behind. And like, hey, don't worry, we got him now. And you're like, I didn't even know this was a flanking maneuver. He goes, yeah, you know, I decided that halfway through. <laughs> uh, also, also just a big waste of Clancy Brown's voice. Cause, yes. You know. All right, we should we should probably get back to James. Yeah, so uh, I was I was gonna say uh, we we have talked a lot there, um, and th this is supposed to be about James. James, do you have other thoughts about about Mass Effect? Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think you guys covered it pretty pretty damn well. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, then we, we've got some other questions we normally ask, but I feel like we should just move on into the uh, the end game. So, Brian. Oh yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, do so, that. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, we got like we kind of explained at the beginning. We end with a bit of a questionnaire. Um, this one uh, has been called from all the ones we've been given or we we have given, um, and so we've compiled uh, the, the questions together. Normally, you only get half of this. Today, you get all of it. Um, that is why we call this the End Game Prime. Uh, so, first question: um, Who is your favorite? video game protagonist. Ooh. I'm going to have to go with John Marston from uh, Red Dead Redemption. Okay. That is absolutely fair. He's a good one. Do you have a backing reason, or we're just going to leave it at just as John Marston would with just his name? Uh, I feel like if, uh, if people have played Red Dead Redemption, they probably understand why, but uh, just, you know, briefly, he's just this anti-hero that you're not supposed to like but you can't help but like because he's he knows that he's a bad person and he 
is trying to change that. And, I, you know, it's just uh, such a departure from you know, the kind of characters you have in other Rockstar games. And the I'll just say the ending of the game is yes. the moment that I'm like, yeah, okay, this guy is probably my, my favorite video game protagonist. Sure. Not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it, but they oh, really should but play. But for for anybody that hasn't played it, what the hell are you doing? Go yeah. play Red Dead Redemption. Seriously, <laughs> one of, it's like one backwards of the, compatible and a bunch of stuff. There. One of the best games of the past decade. Go play it. Indeed. Uh, flipping the coin. Next question: Who's your favorite antagonist? Hmm. I would. Uh... I might have to go with uh, the Harbinger from Mass Effect 2. And not really for any good reason. I didn't think it was a particularly memorable character, uh, but the dialogue was awesome. <laughs> and I think that's the worst reason ever for it to be my favorite antagonist, but you know, how can you not love it when it's just, I am assuming direct control, and then he just zaps into the head of a little reaper and starts shooting you. That is that is true. It's also like kind of a especially playing the game on um whatever the hardest difficulty was, like in the middle of a battle and hearing assuming direct control is just like, oh crap, this enemy's get about to get a lot harder to shoot. <sighs> it's kind of a terrifying thing in the middle of a firefight. Oh absolutely. Uh, especially when you never knew when it was coming and it could just happen multiple times in a row. Sure. Alright. Yeah. I think that, All that, right. that is a first on uh, on Harbinger, so that's cool. That is. It, that, that absolutely is a first on Harbinger. Um, next question. Um, who's your favorite side character? Uh, favorite party member, maybe. Ooh. Navi. This from, is all uh, games, not necessarily Mass Effect. No, I'm, uh, not Navi. Navi's terrible. Oh my god, that get was... out of here. <laughs> uh, you know, I really don't know. That's, uh... It's a difficult question, because I don't tend to um, pay much attention to supporting characters. It's PB, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, we had zero G sex or whatever so, in the airlock. So, yeah. That is my, my rider did that as well. That's uh, uh my my rider just flirted with everybody apparently. Is I also different from any other BioWare game. I've always kind of like stuck with one person and and romanced that one person. But in this game, like literally any time the heart icon appeared, I was just like, "Yeah, why not?" It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was trying to go for Suvi, but it was taking too long, so I just went with PB. And then uh, the uh, what's the the smuggler's name? Uh, uh, Vetra. Vetra. No, not not Vetra. No. The uh, Reyes. The... Yes, Reyes. Yep. Yeah, I kissed him too. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure my Sarah Ryder kissed like everybody in this game. She's uh, she's her own person. Not really. She's not really anybody. 
anyway. <laughs> Back to Doesn't... favorite side character or party member. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> that really is a that really is a difficult question. Uh well, for me at least. I don't know, maybe you've had other people on here who uh just breeze through it in five seconds. But uh Some people do. Could we uh, come back to that one so I'm not just s- silent here for five minutes? They sure. Only, they only get worse. Oh, <laughs> yes, we can. Yes. Uh, this is the next question. Um, we call this the uh, the Caden-Ashley moment. Um, if you had to choose a character to leave behind on a dead or dying planet on a mission which they would not survive, um, who would it be? Um, either for good reasons or bad reasons. Uh... Caden, because I was really trying hard to romance Ashley. Well, it doesn't have to be either one of them. Like, it, it, literally anybody. Oh. You can oh. leave anybody Just... on a planet to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh... But that is the correct choice, in case anybody was wondering. I'm gonna go with PB. Just... <laughs> Yeah, we had zero G fun, and now she's just irritating. <laughs> Isn't that how it always goes? Uh... <laughs> Not reflective of my real life relationships. That's good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, moving away from characters um, and into general uh, video gaming, uh, as it as it is, um, would. Are there any trends in video games today that you think um, people should kind of start kind of getting on board to? Uh, start getting on board to? I was I thought you were going to ask that they should start moving away from. That's um, next question. Oh, okay. Uh, trends they should start getting on board with. I... This may be uh, an unpopular opinion. I actually really liked the mini-campaign idea of uh, Battlefield 1, where you just had several short, vaguely connected stories uh, told through uh, through one campaign. Um, could they have done better? Absolutely. But I just thought it was a cool idea, and uh, when you're tackling a very big... Uh, concept like a war uh, I think having that perspective from multiple characters is uh, I I think that's kind of cool I'd like to see that in in more games you know maybe something even like Mass Effect could have been more interesting Andromeda I mean could have been more interesting if you're actually taking on different roles uh, on different planets or different parts of the galaxy uh, rather than just being generic vanilla writer. I'm still waiting for my Telltale-style uh, CSEC investigator game. Uh, I think that would be pretty dope. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could get behind, like, a CSEC investigates. <laughs> almost like a like a CSI, where you have, like, a, a Lenny Briscoe-type um, alien and, like, his I-Corps partner or something. Just... <laughs> Something ridiculous that I I could definitely let's see some investigations. Yeah. Uh, so flipping this, yeah, flipping the um, flipping the coin. What would you like to see uh, video games move away from? 
open world design. Hmm. Uh, I, I, yeah, uh, just Mass Effect Andromeda was one of them where I felt like it was fun at first having these big explorable play areas on the planets, and then after a while I kind of realized that I missed the more confined spaces of uh, the original trilogy. Uh, mm -hmm. where I felt like they had more or at least the same amount of stuff to do the same amount of little quests that you could go on or characters you could help but it was in a more confined area whereas uh, Wildlands uh, Mass Effect uh, Watch Dogs The Division, they all feel like it's this big area just for the sake of taking longer to get to the next objective, so it artificially pads out how long you play the game. Sure, yeah. I, um, and I just want to see that trend disappear, because there is, unless you have a very specific reason where the world is an important part of the story, like it is in GTA or uh, Assassin's Creed, then just, you don't need an open world. Sure. Uh, have either of you gotten to Havarl in Mass Effect Andromeda? That's the next one I'm going to. Uh, so, in my opinion, that is that is the best part of the game, uh, because while it's the open kind of world, but it's it's much scaled down uh, to the point where you can't have the nomad, um, right. and because you can't have the nomad, everything is within walking distance, and everything just feels so much. Better, uh, and there's also, I don't know, maybe half as many things to do as there are on the other planets. Uh, it was it was great because it was the uh, I think it was the third planet that I had gotten to, and so I had I had done the the remnant ecosystem terraforming thing on two planets, and then I get to this one, and it's like, oh, you don't have to activate two; you just need to activate one, and because the other two are, are working. And it was like, oh, that's great, because I'm really tired of doing that. Mm. And I played through Havarl. It was it was this nice kind of, uh, quote-unquote, breath of fresh air, because it was just, it felt different. It was smaller. It was, uh, felt, it felt more detailed. It uh, felt more diverse. And then I got to the one after that. It's like, hey, go activate three more tower things and... and you know, fix the environment here and drive all around because this place was is it massive. Was it Aladdin? Uh, Kadara. Oh, okay. Was the next place I got to. And I was just like, I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm kind of tired. <laughs> Aladdin was the point for me where I was really fed up of driving the marginally improved uh, Mako around. Um, Aladdin also has these weird texture issues for me. I'm on Xbox One, for those of uh, you who care, um, where you'd be driving around in the desert and just parts of the desert, just in big squares, would pop in and pop out in different Ooh, colors uh, and different shadowing, and it was just looked bad. Yeah. Uh, but then Havarl was this nice small area. The console could actually handle it, and it still had all of this really nice architectural detail, which mm -hmm. on the bigger maps, I don't care. 
I'm just trying to get to my little mission marker, and I'm not looking at you know this uh, on on Vold, uh, you know the uh, the monoliths that are built into the side of a, an ice cliff. I'm not looking at that. I'm just yeah. trying to find the fastest way to get to that mission marker. Yeah, that's uh, that is fair. Um, and also, um, Elodin is is made more redundant by the fact it's the second desert planet you go to, mm. and that that's stupid. <laughs> We're in a different galaxy. We can't have seriously. Give me more of the uh, give me more floating rocks. Right? We can't have like unique things. That's so. I don't want to bash on Mass Effect anymore right now, but I'm going to. That's the other thing. We went to a whole other galaxy, and every character is constantly talking about how, like, there's this, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore mentality of, oh, I, this is not something we would have seen in the Milky Way, but it, everything totally is. Yep. Uh, in that sense, Habitat 7, the very first planet you crash land on at the beginning of the game, was awesome because it had these gigantic floating rock dagger things all over the place and it looked like nothing I'd ever seen in Mass Effect before and I was really hoping that the rest of the game was going to be like that nothing else is (laughs) (sighs) yeah so uh, eschew open world design Uh, yes yes (laughs) taking it on another Mass Effect transit Uh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry uh, yeah, uh, this next question, normally we would ask um, what your uh, kind of dream profession would be. Um, but since you kind of answered that, uh, I would like to know what movie, um, if you could choose from anything uh, to be made or has been made, what would have been your dream movie to score? Uh, I would say probably the next Star Wars film. Nowhere near as good as John Williams, but... I mean, not not even in the same ballpark, but it would have been a lot of fun to work on that. Nice. Cool. Fair. I like the, the quickness of that answer. Uh, uh, for video game score, uh, I would absolutely love to work on something like Journey, uh, where you just get to write a really serene, calm, uh, basically strings and nothing else. That's awesome. Uh, next question. If you could choose to play any game again for the first time, what would it be? Ooh. Star Wars Battlefront 2. Okay. It's going, uh, it's going back a bit. Um, having played the OG Battlefront, uh, <laughs> I mean... Going into Battlefront 2, how could you not love it? I mean, it was freaking Star Wars space battles, man. Yeah. yeah. It was... Battlefront 2 was the Assassin's Creed 2 before there was Assassin's Creed 2. And kind of the the quality and complexity jump between original game and its its sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a good one. Good one indeed. Yeah. Uh, next question. Um, if you could choose to forget any game that you've played, what would it be? Watch Dogs. 
First one. The first one. All right. What what made that game so egregious that you want to forget it? They had such a cool concept and they blew it. Okay. Um, the, this idea of being this master hacker with a phone that could hack into any part of the system uh, that the city was running on, and then you never really did anything with it. You know, you'd go on a chase and pop a barricade up in front of a police car, and that was basically all you did. That is fair. Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> from various people. Uh, Joel had a positive opinion of it. Joel, I think Joel, I think Joel, yeah, Joel uniquely processes like Ubisoft open world games. He 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 is the target audience for Ubisoft <laughs> games. <laughs> that is that's where they that's why they send them to him. I have heard good things about Watch Dogs Two, but I have not played it yet. I um. I played the trial of it when the, there was like a weekend trial at some point, or maybe there's a demo out. I have no idea. Um, but I played it for an hour or so, and um, I I don't know. Like I I'm kind of impressed that I play played through all of Mass Effect because when I played that, like I and it's it's the reason that I, I haven't played Horizon yet. Um, is like I I just really have this open world fatigue um, and trying to play Watch Dogs 2 it was just like I don't I don't want to do this open world stuff it's, it's all the same in every game I don't want to collect more things climb towers and collect all the things them. I don't want to do that that's why things. I don't think I did any tasks in Mass Effect Andromeda uh, I specifically stuck uh, mostly to the relationship quests, like the allies and relationships, and then did a, a handful of the like planet specific ones. But tasks, no, I'm, I'm not gonna go get eight things of medicine for you. I'm sorry, you can go get them. I've terraformed this planet for you. It's fine. Just go. I don't. I don't care. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, final, no, final question. Not not final question yet. We what? have a question to re-ask. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, um, who's your favorite side character? <laughs> uh, I'm trying. I think her name was Bonnie McFarlane. From Red Dead Redemption. Oh yeah, yeah. The lady, yeah, the, the woman who teaches you horses uh, stuff. Yeah, horses, not farmer. Horse ranch. Something. I felt like yeah, that was a Rockstar did a really good job of building a strong female character. Sure. You know, whereas uh, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, games like GTA, the female characters are basically prostitutes and you kill them and get your money back afterwards um so you know this was i thought this was just i thought she was a really well-rounded well-written character but to be honest rockstar always has well-written well-rounded characters uh but i i appreciated that they had a good female character who kind of 
didn't take crap from Marston. Sure. And it's it's always great when you have a um like a, especially when it's a female side character that is just like a, a platonic friend and not like the romance option in the game because right. um, that like well written females are super rare in video game. Well, a lot of well written characters are, are rare in games. Well written females are rarer. Well written females that you're the main character's not trying to bang are like super rare. So... Yeah, that's the unicorn right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Indeed. Good choice. Yes, I I like I approve. Um, last last question. At the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there to greet us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you inside? Uh, I feel like he's probably going to criticize me for never finishing a Super Mario Brothers game. <laughs> If he's not, it's definitely coming. <laughs> uh, scolding from Toad. That's. I don't That's care if the princess is in another car- castle. I cannot beat 8 4. So, you're on the journey. <laughs> uh, you were already here, Toad, when she got captured. Why didn't you do something about it? You know? Yeah. That's fair. I I I've never beaten a Mario game either, so. Uh, my first okay. Mario game I beat was a uh, Super Mario World. Okay. And I beat it both there. There's a shortcut you could take through these Star Worlds that drops you off basically right at Bowser's castle, um, and you can get there like through the through basically right at the start of the second little island. Um, so you could do it real quick. Or I also went through all like I want to say it was like 96 other like points that you could earn in that game and I did all those as well so that that is a great game yeah yeah also beat the Super Mario Galaxy that was really good as well I haven't played a Mario game since Mario 64 ooh there's a lot <laughs> yeah you have some catching up to do yeah, I'm not going to it's <laughs> Um. All right. Well, congratulations, James. You uh, you, you did. Win. You, made you passed. It to the Way to go! Yes. <laughs> did I do well enough to be invited back in the future? Very possibly. We're we're not letting that information out yet, though. Um. So we're just gonna leave you and listeners in suspense for right now. Ooh. Um. The season cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> well, mid-season cliffhanger. Mid-season cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but thank you so much for for joining us and chatting with us. And uh, uh, thank you very much for humoring me as I I think I, I talked a lot about Mass Effect, which we haven't had a podcast devoted to that. So I feel pretty good that we did not just talk about Mass Effect for an hour and a half. That, that's true. So. That's true. So thank you, um, thank you for that. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, that uh, that is it for this episode. Uh, we will be back soon with more conversations with our uh, writers here on DarkStation.com. So, uh, James, you should check that out. Listeners, you should come back uh, to hear about more of the people that you're reading reviews from. And until we are back, have a good one.